James 23 is now behind us, and on this episode, I once again chat with James Ada, Director of Strategy and Business Development at Metacom Systems, and Grace Vitton, a seasoned PR Director for Amendola Communications. The two discuss their impressions of the conference and compare and contrast hymns to the Upstart Vive. I'm your host, Carol Flagg. Take a listen. Well, Grace and James, welcome back for another fun-filled episode of What's My Tagline? How have you guys been since I saw you in March at Vive? Hello, hello, hello. Well, we've been doing just fine. Yeah. Really enjoyed our time at Vibe and then hymns back to back once again. Uh, but really, really just uh, taking it all in still, even a few weeks post event. Yeah, yeah. James, what about you? Back, yeah. back to back, almost back to back. It wasn't back to back to back. I mean, trade show season and conference season just finished for me uh, in the last few days. So um, still catching up on on sleep, but uh, very happy to be here to to go through some takeaways from trade uh, show season yes. and, and hymns 23 in particular. So, so thanks yes, for yes. having me. Yeah, as our listeners know, this 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 episode is, is about digesting hymns 23 in Chicago. But before we start, uh, I uh, before we start, let's begin with your hymns taglines. Uh, James, you go first. This time. I think Grace went with Vi. So James, give us your hymns tagline. Sure. So this time I'm going to tweak it just a little bit um, for all the chat GPT AI people out there and say that um, my tagline this time will be intelligently using clinical data. Oh, mm. mm. I like that. Got in chat GPT before we're even 30 seconds into the episode. <laughs> I think you have to if you're going to talk about hymns 23, that's for sure. <laughs> Grace, how about you? So mine is forwarding the shift from patient-centered care to patient-led healthcare. Oh, yeah, that would be a that would be a great shift to move forward for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, like that. I like that too. Uh, so EMS twenty three. I I was not there, uh, so I've actually heard a lot of things. Uh, we had a crew there on site at Chicago. Uh, I heard a lot of scuttlebutt, I saw a lot of tweets, I've read some stuff post-event, but I am incredibly anxious to hear what you two thought of the event. So let's just start with that. I'm going to preface that going into HIMSS 23, a lot of people are wondering about the numbers. Within Chicago, kind of a little bit more difficult uh, place to travel to than, you know, Orlando or Vegas, perhaps some would argue. Uh, and there was a lot of talk all over the all over the place as to how many people were going to be there and would it be well attended. Let's start with that. Well, I mean, the numbers say that Hims is back. It is absolutely back with a vengeance. It was at thirty five thousand attendees. Pre-COVID, it was about 41,000. So that tells us that, you know, HIMSS is making a comeback. And it was very interesting to see the breakup of people that were there. They had a thousand vendors uh, and about 30% of the folks that were there were vendors. Probably 20% were hospital executives, C-suite and other folks working in hospitals. Um, Probably 20% consultants, you know, those folks helping either the vendors or helping the hospitals. Um, And then there were also some, you know, general provider leaders, doctors, nurses, and students, quite a few students there. Uh, Some pharmacy leaders, I saw quite a few pharmacy leaders on on name tags, a few payers, 
I heard a few pharma as well, which was surprising. You don't usually see the pharma world there, but I heard a few of the top pharma names just were hanging around the trade show floor <laughs> and chatting with vendors. Um, and then there was, of course, healthcare media uh, and healthcare consumers. They had a huge consumer populations of patients, caregivers, uh, patient advocates that were there. Uh, and another thing that I saw, which I haven't seen at past hymns, were a huge uh, section of the digital health investor community. Oh. And they, yeah, so they started the Hymns Venture Connect, which is a program that ran alongside Hymns. And at that program, there were digital health investors, uh, and and basically they kind of drew digital investors through that event. Yeah, well, that's definitely taking the page out of Vive's playbook. Uh, James, what were your over thoughts regarding the numbers and the crowd? Well, I mean, I think that, that Grace said a lot of the, the core stuff there. I mean, I was, to be honest with you, really expecting that Vive would have taken a big bite out of um, the attendees at Hims, just seeing how much it grew from last year to this year. Uh, and, and as Grace mentioned, I mean, it didn't. Uh, you know, the numbers, the numbers are back to just about pre-COVID levels, um, which really surprised us. I mean, it was very good for me business-wise, um, and uh, and we were we were surprised. I mean, to, to your point, Grace, about having pharma people there, I can tell you, uh, having been involved in some projects with pharmaceutical companies, that uh, the, those pharma folks. I mean, just about every big pharma company has some kind of patient facing app that they're working on that needs to connect with data from the EHR. Uh, so they're, I, I can tell you for certain, interested in how do we use Fire to leverage this? How can we you know, start this interoperability into our apps? And how do we use what's already built and out there? So uh, I'm not surprised that those pharma people are, are there at all. Um, it's nice to see that. And I, I think it's hilarious that, that uh, you know, that, that we're starting to see that investment, that crowd uh, coming to hymns as well. Um, you know, <laughs> for me, uh, the difference between, and we can get into this a little bit more, but the difference between the logistics of the two trade shows, which are back to back, was quite interesting since you brought up five. Um, and uh, it, it's, I wonder how things are going to progress because the numbers were one thing, but the experience is a whole other ball game. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Grace, I'm sure you want to weigh in on that comment. <laughs> yeah, and that definitely kind of is a takeaway that I had from the health from the hymns event. Just the fact that the experience, there was no place to really sit down. There were few places mm -hmm. to really sit down. There was no water in normal spots where you'd want to find water or snacks in areas where that might make sense. Everything was super far apart from, from each other. And, and, and so while the organized event went really well and, you know, the exhibit halls looked fantastic. I mean, there wasn't even carpet <laughs> for oh, the hallways of the exhibit halls for right. comfort of walking. And so there were th a few things that you would expect because going to a health or a vibe and, you know, in advance of a, event like this you you have the carpet you have the lights you have music playing and at the hymns you're not going to get that level of experience and now that they're bringing in the investor community they expect that from their conferences yeah yeah, yeah. well health and vibe certainly their whole thing is is to create that experiential event right yeah. uh and certainly uh 
hymns sounds like, even though it was Chicago, it was a little colder than perhaps what, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, the cold, the cold didn't, I don't think anyone is even bothered by the weather. I mean, this, you know, it was in April, okay, fine, it's, it, it's Chicago, it's, everyone kind of came into knowing that, you know, from a logistics perspective, that's going to be tricky. Chicago is hard to get around. The the, the trade show uh, convention center is, is tricky to get around. Everyone expected that, but to Grace's point, there's there's no carpets. Then they make, you know, they came the, the the first day and said, oh well, you know, it was something to do with our environmental whatever impact. We don't want to. So they had like patches of carpet some places, but not in other places. And everyone's going. Okay, obviously this has nothing to do with environmental and everything to do with some fight you guys had with the unions. Um, but, but it just made just say the it. whole yeah, it made for the whole trade show just seem like, you know what, when you can tell that a trade show is dying, that like, you know, that it's falling apart, but it felt like that. I mean, there's like we said, no water, no snacks, no no food in the in the halls. Um, there's, the, there's no carpet, so your back is just killing you, and it just looks like patchwork. Um, and then on the other side, you have massive numbers. So uh, it was I kind of this double-edged sword where you're like, is this dying or is it not? But it just it seemed very unprofessional, you know, for all the money that, that, that the exhibitors are paying um, to not even have carpets, to not even have coffee, to have to go and stand in line all afternoon for food. Uh, you know, it, it somewhere else, you know, as opposed to having that food, like in the, with Vibe, you've got the food in the hall right next to, yeah. uh, right next to some, you know, morning uh, uh, speaking engagement with, you know, the head of ONC. Like, that's the kind of experience that the attendees and the exhibitors want to be around. And so that was really not what we were getting out of him. So... You got that. You certainly have the attendee numbers. Uh, I'm sh everyone that I spoke to from a business perspective had a great show, but it was very uncomfortable, and the experience just was not there. So if you if you attended health and, and other conferences, we we don't want to just say health and, and him. There are other big conferences out there across uh, you know across you know health IT and digital health that attract an audience. So it's not just a comparison against Vive three weeks before. It's really a comparison against what's sort of happening in conferences today. You know, that you're, you make a great point. And you, you invite that investor community in. You know, they're kind of expecting a different level of treatment, I think, you know, right? Than uh, what you said, um, no carpeting. There does no seem to be the shift in that conferences are now seen as executive networking retreats mm. of sorts. And I think that we can't go back. There's really no going back from that. Conferences are not just trade shows anymore. They're a place where people are networking, making business deals, where there's there's so much happening that you have to equal that experience, get that experience up to that level of what people are anticipating from the event. Uh, and I think just having easy access to food, having music playing, having entertainment around to keep interest alive and connection being you know, happening, that that'll always be something people are now anticipating from their conferences that they're going to. And there's just no going back. 
Yeah, we'll see if there's an impact there, over next next year. Really, is the is the question, right? Yeah, there, I mean, there's no going back. And and to be honest, you know, the, these trade shows, you know, it's a long day. You're up early in the morning, yeah. right? And there's pre morning events. There's a there's always some breakfast, something or some things. Then you've got an entire day where you're either standing at a booth, walking around the trade show floor. You're in meetings. It, that just that piece is a is a very long day. So you need to create the creature comforts for people. I mean, you've got some of these these trade shows where they're real. You can see they're really putting the effort into creating a relaxing, convenient environment for those folks, the exhibitors and the attendees and the investor types, consultants and all this kind of stuff. And then there's there's conferences that just are not putting that attention to detail in those things, and it's. It's very, very evident. And, you know, as as the people, as the decision makers who are saying, okay, I am going to have to spend X number of dollars for these conferences to be a part of in this calendar or fiscal year, where do I want to spend my money, right? If I know that myself and my team are going to be going to one of or more of these, where am I going to spend the money? Which one do I want? How do I vote with my dollars of which one of these I want to be a part of? Yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, I know that myself and our team and several other big vendors out there are, are making those those, you know, right. considerations right now. Right, right. Back to, you know, or not back to but sort of segueing into sort of some of the big themes and comparing and contrasting that to Vive. You, you mentioned out of the gate, uh, ChatGPT. When I went to Vive, I was actually kind of surprised by how that wasn't, it was part of the conversation at five, but it was like, oh, chat GPT, you know, like everywhere, right? But I sense from what, you're, what, what, what you said, James, in your, in your opening salvo, that actually that was a big thing at HIMSS. Was that like the, was that the new meaningful use, the new pop health, the new patient experience? Was that the buzzword going around HIMSS? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, a huge, huge, huge contrast. And I, I expected it, at, like you said, at Vive and didn't really see it. I mean, people kind of were talking about it in, in pockets here and there, but no, no, no. Every booth you went to, every conversation you had with someone, there was that somewhere. Now, that's not to say that Anyone's got it figured out how this how this all works um, and how is it applied. But you know, if, if you went to a booth and you didn't see something related to AI or intelligence or you know ChatGPT or OpenAI or something like that, it was really on the minority side of things. And you probably had it in a conversation that you had with the people at that booth anyway. So um, yeah, it was de it was definitely a through line. It was the buzzword. Mm -hmm. Um, the thing is, is I do think that we will have that technology embedded all over healthcare technology. I mean, there's no question that some of the underlying technology there will be utilized. It will be leveraged. Um, the question is, how do you do that in a way that makes sense? And so, you know, we certainly have ideas with, you know, with our technology and with our partners. Um, but as some of the experts in this field will tell you, uh, you do not want to be relying on technology that is trained on Reddit and porn sites. You want it to be trained on just healthcare and a corpus of knowledge that's very specific to whatever uh, application and, and use case 
that it's related to. I personally see the, that use case first being, and Grace will be happy about this, in patient-facing applications. I really do. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations about that. So not exactly a core use of our technology, but um, but I, I, I certainly see that being the first, and there's already products that have been around for a while that are, are layering that technology into what they're already doing. So um, yeah. I would keep my eyes open for that. Yeah. It's interesting because the presentations that are on, you know, clinical grade AI, like we're talking about the solid AI stuff, you know, that James is talking about clinical grade. This is based on healthcare, clinical notes, et cetera. That stuff is doing fantastic work, but the work is not sexy. <laughs> it's it's very pragmatic. It is saving five to 10 minutes. It's making minor improvements that are having huge impacts. So that's very interesting to have conversations with people about too, because, you know, a, a lot of the conversations on the showroom floor are about the future and what AI can do, but all the presentations on the, on the actual presentation uh, stage are on the practical AI and saving five to 10 minute improvements on arduous tasks. And yeah, yeah. so that's very interesting to see when are we going to get those kind of visionary outcomes that make it to the stage. That would be very interesting for me. I don't know how long it'll take to get to that point. Yeah, well, I, I, I think what you will see in very short order and I where, where you can the, the opportunity to really move the needle in healthcare. And, and this is something I actually saw products that were, were doing this is you know the ability to have a conversation with something that has the intelligence level of a clinician for the condition that you have so you just had a surgery or you, you've been diagnosed with a condition and as a as a patient you don't really understand the ins and outs of what that means but being able to have basically a conversation with an avatar of a clinician to say you know, just basic questions. What should I expect when I'm going into surgery? What, what should I what should I be doing post-op? You know, what are the important things that I need to know about my condition? Sure, could you go and research some of this on, on WebMD or one of those websites yourself? Certainly, but the ability to have a conversation, um, you know, vocally with, with something that's on the other end, I think that there's tremendous application and for all those people who have been talking in the last two to three years, I've heard this over and over and over, how do you, how do you extend healthcare to be not just that 0.1% of the time where you're in an exam room, but the whole 99.9% .9 of the rest of your life when you still need to have some kind of interaction, you still need to be thinking about your, your conditions, et cetera. Um, that I think can really bridge, bridge that gap. And it's more than just, you know, five or 10 minutes of, yeah. of saving time. It's really creating, you could have hours and hours of conversation on the other side to put a, a person on the other side, you know, their mind to rest. People are so scared, the, 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 you know, fear of the unknown that people experience in healthcare, uh, I think is massive. And, and that's an area where you could really move the needle, I, I believe. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of patients, so Grace, you had mentioned in your opening, uh, that, that there were there were patient stories at Hims. Now that was something that we saw, we've seen it at Health, and we certainly saw it at Vive. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is 
perhaps have hinted at in the past, not to the same level they did this year. Is that correct? Yes. So the day before him started, they had a number of pro paid programs happening. One of their paid programs was the Patient Experience Forum program, and it was packed out. I mean, it was an almost full day program with patients, patient advocates, caregivers, care partners um, on stage talking about topics just like this. How are they using ChatGBT? I mean, they're using it to help with their denial, manage their denials. They're using it to in many different ways that you know you wouldn't even really imagine, but also having serious conversations on topics that would be of interest to the tech industry, uh, patient access to records, information blocking, you know, and then other ways that tech can play in assisting patients, advocates, and more. And so I do have to say that HIMSS did a great job with this program and including patients. That said, they don't get what people call in the industry, quote unquote, patient included status. Now that is <laughs> right. when you pay right. for patients to come and you pay right. them as speakers and you right. uh, and you really uh, open your doors to them and in many ways treat them as you would a highlighted speaker at the conference. Obviously, patient included status. It's tricky to get, but there are some like uh, Health Data Palooza that have uh, done patient included status. Uh, but that said, Hims did a great job this year with including the patient voice, and it was very interesting to hear the patient perspective and to see the room packed out with health system CIOs, payers, pharmacists, also other patients, and you know vendors, and lots of different folks who paid to be there, which is just fantastic. Uh, to to see and that it was packed the entire time, almost no seat to, to be had in the in the room. Yeah, and that yeah. was the day before him started. So yeah, you kind of yeah. knew, oh, this is going to be a bigger event than we anticipated. Right. But no, but no beverages. No, no water. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, all right. So we've, we've actually That's key things like water. That, you know, this is not a concern. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we did want to. I did want to structure this sort of like your 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 five biggest takeaways from hymns, and we we've obviously talked about Chat GPT and 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 a larger story about um, patient inclusion and their stories at hymns, and of course you know the overall lack of pizzazz, I guess, as far as the 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 event itself. Um, so let's like drill down as we get into these five things, these five takeaways. And I'm curious to know when you when we when we address these five issues as, as we get started on this role, you know, what you think that impact will mean for next year and going forward. So number five takeaway, we'll start with Grace. Your top five. My fifth takeaway, obviously, is just the patient experience program right. and how exciting it was to see patients and caregivers and care partners and patient advocates and industry organizations that are promoting patient experience really on the stage and highlighting that experience. So I have to say that has to take one of my takeaways. Yes, or something you're passionate about. So. It's something I'm passionate <laughs> about. It's something that we've been waiting for, yeah. you know, and it really kind of going back to my tagline of 
we always talk about healthcare being patient centered, but in fact, patients are self triaging and they're the consumer. They're the ones you need to keep the doors open and patients are really taking greater control over their, their own healthcare choices than ever before. They choose who they want the, their care to be with. And at the end of the day, it really is patient led because they also choose whether they're going to take your instructions or not. And so there's a lot of things to be said about that and including that voice really helps people understand that perspective of what people are thinking from so all think, sides of the spectrum. You think we'll see that again next year at him going Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because the patient world has such a vibrant social community. Yeah. So that was very interesting to see all of the social media uptick from HIMS generally just through the patient stories and the patient's voice being included. And that's just good for their conference to have right. that extra PR of sorts. James, number five. So I'm going to, I know we talked about it already, but I'm going to stick with the, the logistics and experience being a really important part uh, of this. And, you know, I, I urge the, the HIMSS folks to really take a serious look at what they're doing there, because um, I do think that if, if they want to continue to attract the money that's in healthcare, uh, the the folks that uh, want to create real answers um, and and move this industry forward. I mean, we're not we're no longer the days you know pre the Cures Act where where there was no money in this industry. There is there is certainly money in this industry now, um, and there is a demand for really moving the needle. And I feel like we are on the precipice of of some pretty major sea change there. And so for for a conference like this, that that um, this mandate is really to be that sort of transformative uh, access for everybody. That uh, they really need to consider that, or else risk losing that um, really important piece to to a competitor that really knows how to do it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Grace, number four. I think for, I'm going to have to say health equity in general, just as a major theme in the industry that was tied throughout HIMSS. They had panels, they had presentations, they had side presentations, they had side videos being aired, they had tons of opportunities for diversity and inclusion type topics uh, from all ends of the spectrum, from student to CEO to healthcare executive uh, to patient to basically health equity and how it touches every person in healthcare, which was interesting to see. And I'm not over-exaggerating when I say that. They over-exhausted that topic, which I think is it's critical topic and it yeah. should be. Uh, but I think that's something that HIMSS did well this year. And I'm interested to see how they level up next year because they really found ways to bring out so many different areas of the health equity that are being improved by AI through interoperability efforts, through you know other telehealth, telehealth and, and yeah. even more. So it was exciting to to hear that phrase and that word so often, and to really know that the industry cares about it because it's important. It just reminds us all that we are mission driven. At the end of the day, we want to improve it for all, not just some. And so that was interesting to see, and I'm interested to see how they level up next year. James, number four. Yeah, I mean, mine was very similar to Grace's. Number four is is having uh, the patient access, uh, you know, being a, a much more important topic. I mean, I had a ton of conversations with with folks about 
um, how does that really happen now? I mean, this, this idea of the patient having a voice in their own healthcare and driving it um, with patient-facing apps, and we talked a little bit about, about how you could leverage some AI there, um, but, not, but not just that, is really, you know, as interoperability happens, and that's one of my, my other takeaways, you know, how does the patient get access to that? It's not just about uh, a medical record needing to go from, you know, one hospital to a physician's office. Um, it's also about how does the patient get access to their full record? And, and really where the rubber meets the road there. there are some, there's a number of different organizations try to, trying to figure that out. It's not easy. There's a lot of deduplication and, 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 and ensuring that you have the right patient, all these different things that are involved in that. Um, but, uh, but those conversations are definitely happening and, and that's, you know, uh, it's heartening to see that because yeah. it should be yeah. all about the patient at the end of the day. Uh, Grace, number three. Number three, in that vein, there was a lot of talk about interoperability. Obviously, the rise of the QHINs, what yeah. that means for the industry. Will there be enough governance? You know, HIEs have governance. Will QHINs, they're supposed to have their own governance. Will that be enough? There's no, there's no backbone to this where they, it will be enforced necessarily with other than a slap on the wrist. So, you know, there's so many questions up in the air. You know, will that data really really flow so smoothly? Will it be competitive with, with HAZEs or will they be frenemies? How, how will the industry be impacted by this? And there was the entire interoperability showcase was just about this topic on so many mm. different levels and terms and, and phrases. And the industry is excited and nervous. And you can tell that there's so many things that have yet to be answered, but they're just trying their best to move things forward. James, number three. Yeah, we're we're thinking alike today, Grace. We were really thinking alike because that was my number three. Sure, you can weigh in on that. Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, it, it really depends who you talk to 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 get you know their perspective on is interoperability really happening or not. I think the consensus is yes, it's happening. It's happening still in pockets. Um, some of them are very big pockets, uh, uh, but it's it's disjunct. It's the you know, it's there's tons of problems still. There are certainly lots of vendors that, who have attested, who can show that their stuff works, but in, pra in practice, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and with, uh, with enforcement coming very, very soon, uh, everyone's kind of freaking out. And, and I can tell you from the conversations that I have with my EHR customers and with various different people that I, I know who leverage some of these technologies to actually try and receive and consume data, that it's still a mess. Um, and so, as Grace mentioned, uh, there was quite a lot of this talk in the inter interoperability showcase. I did, you know, fortunately, I was able to sit in on some of those as well. And you can hear that, you know, people who are involved in this day to day will tell you it's still all over the place and it will be all over the place for quite a while. But, um, you know, the faucets are opening um, and we will see how it goes. Uh, but, you know, everyone's just kind of figuring it out as, as they go. Who knows? The questions that Grace, you know, brought up are very interesting. I'm super interested to find out what happens there. Will the QHINs and the HIEs and, and the private organizations that are working on this stuff all be super friendly? How is that going to actually work in practice? 
who's going to say that they own the data, how are they monetizing all of this, because there is provisions for monetization of this stuff, but we don't know how that's actually going to work in practice. And in fact, in the middle of, right in between Vive and Hims, I, I wrote a whole you know piece on Twitter about this, and I had some really interesting controversy happen on my thread uh, from various people who think that it's totally okay to monetize and other people who say, no, you're not supposed to do that. Um, and that's a complete violation of how this is supposed to work. So uh, we will see. This is, this is a very interesting time. It's a little bit the Wild West now. And, and I think that we will see monetization. There will be lawyers involved. Uh, this is all gonna end up in the courts, but, but I think that some people are gonna find out some really interesting ways to make money off of this. Um, so it's, it's a fun time to be part of that. Yeah, we'll see where the rubber meets the road between the for-profit side of the interoperability question and the non-profit side of the inter interoperability question. Well, I, 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 made the, I made the comment that, what, what was it that said, said, you know, these data lake organizations uh, are seem to be succeeding where the HIEs uh, did not. And I had some folks who were involved in the, in the HIEs that survived um, have some pretty harsh words for my comment there uh, because, you know, they, they made it through. But the fact of the matter is there are plenty of HIEs that did implode, um, that didn't make it through, that couldn't make, make things financially viable. And these data lake companies, they're all there to make money. Um, yeah. So they're going to want to sell some of the data, whether it's de-identified or not. They're going to want to run clinical trials and, and work with the pharma companies to see what can be done with the data to, to bring insights that are really valuable for pharma companies and others. And I'm sure insurance companies are going to want to be involved as well. And it, it's, there's going to be a lot of ethical questions there that no one really has the answers to just yet. But, but uh, I think there's going to be a lot to come there. Grace, number two. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd be remiss to not talk about hospital at, hospital at home and the end of the public health emergency, May 11th. Uh, and that's coming up. I know yeah. it'll be behind us once this is aired, but it's in front of us right now. And it means a lot for virtual care. Yeah. Yes, it means a lot for virtual care. And so there's a lot of questions. The companies that hung, you know, hung their hat on reimbursement may be going bye-bye, may be acquired. You know, those that kind of leaned into uh, selling to employers and payers and, you know, other folks that you know, may not necessarily uh, be reliant necessarily on those changes may be winners at the end of the day, but it's hard to say. There's just a lot up in the air with the hospital at home, but I, at the end of the day, it's here to stay. Patients and caregivers, they want to be able to have care at home. There are employment issues, there's burnout and more that virtual care and uh, and uh, remote patient monitoring and research from home can help solve. And so I think there, there are many options that are out there. And I think there's going to be a lot of acquisitions coming up in the coming year of folks really combining forces and to make an impact in the virtual care world. James, number two. Well, just on that topic, I had a lot of interesting conversations about the telehealth, virtual care, and, you know, there's this downward pressure on, on reimbursement for, for virtual care. Um, I think, like you said, the genie's out of the bottle, um, and particularly for those folks who are, you know, on the rural side of things, um, or, or for whatever reason, don't have access 
to to being able to get to a clinician's office or or, or hospital or whatever. I think we all have to think of virtual care as bridging that gap. And so how do you how do you reimburse it properly um, now that the genie is out of the bottle? I think there's there's a lot of uh, fight that is going to go on there too. Um, for me, number two, uh, we mentioned it already, but you know, AI talking about the genie being out of the bottle. Um, you know, that genie is is out of the bottle now as well. Um, it's moving so quickly. Uh, nobody's really figured out how it's going to work. I think the the what's clear is that the underlying technology is going to be super valuable. And so, how do we train that type of technology on healthcare, how do we apply it at the right places that make sense, either in the clinician's workflow and backend, you know, uh, areas somehow, and or in a patient, in a responsible patient facing uh, manner. I, I think we're gonna be talking about this for years to come and this is just the beginning. So it's, it's interesting, it's exciting um, and, you know, for companies like like uh, ours who are who have been in the intelligence space for a long time, what what ChatGPT and OpenAI have done for us is legitimize the value of algorithmic intelligence at the point of care and in these EHR systems. I mean, we're at a point now where, you know, uh, we've come a long way from when EHRs were this thing like, hey, let's put this into uh, a medical environment and let's just worry about getting paid and let's not worry about all of the the ways that this actually can impact um, healthcare. I think for lots of organizations and this is actually getting to my number one so I won't go too far into it but I, <laughs> I think that people are really thinking about how to leverage all this stuff um, inside the workflows now. Yeah. And on that note, I would say people are just trusting AI more than ever before. I mean, remember back in the day, people didn't trust the cloud. Why should we put our stuff in the cloud? It's so untrustworthy. Now people are like, yeah, we got to put it in the cloud. <laughs> and so in a similar way, it's like you don't have to have that conversation anymore about is this AI trustworthy or not? I mean, you have a lot to prove. You have to have clinical validation. But at the people are saying, yeah, it's possible if yeah. ChatGPT can do it. I was actually thinking about, because you guys have, have been going to hymns long enough, IBM Watson, remember? <laughs> oh, I do. We, we had conversations with them, and they, they, they came to us and asked to, to leverage our stuff, uh, and they did. Uh, but, but I mean, I, I think the technology just wasn't ready then, and, yeah, and things yeah. have come a long way since then. It was ahead of the, maybe ahead of the, head of, head of the curve, I guess. But, um, but that's what I was thinking about. I was like, IBM Watson, I so remember. That might have been hymns 2010, 2011, somewhere around there, right? And everybody was mm. just like, oh, the future is here. And yeah, that blah, blah, blah. But anyway. <laughs> All right. We are down to number one race, number one takeaway. So the number one takeaway, I was very excited to see the women in healthcare, health IT, pharma, life sciences really come together and level up how we are are collaborating with one another. So, you know, the women in healthcare IT, it's a powerful force. And there were a number of breakfasts, receptions, and more where women just got together and chatted about what it took to get to where they are and what can they do to get to the next level. And so that was really exciting to see. I think there's a number of micro uh, communities in healthcare that people don't really realize are there, like the rare disease community, um, women in healthcare 
CIT, to C, you know, community, the CIO community, I mean, which may be a little bit more career focused, but there's a number of micro communities. And that is something that makes HIMS and the rest of these conferences very special. But I'm interested to see in the future how HIMS and the rest of the conferences can better leverage those communities because they're there, they're online, they're communicating, you know, communicating every day with one another, sharing resources, sharing education, uh, collaborating, creating partnerships, uh, mentoring young students that are really rising up in the space. So that was exciting for me to see, and I'm interested to see the future of that. Uh, James, number one, you, are, you said you sort of teased us a little bit with it. I, I did, yeah. And, and this is something I said a little bit, I think, on our last podcast. And it sounds generic when I say it. I mean, um, you know, I think people and, and the big vendors in the, in the space right now are finally looking for real solutions that are going to impact things today. Um, I've never seen that before, you know, in years, I've been going to hymns for way longer than I'd like to admit. And, and, um, you know, people would talk a good game, but it didn't feel like people were really digging in. This is the first time that I have felt that those people, those organizations that are responsible for delivering solutions at the point of care really are caring now about how do we do all of these things now? Uh, and I think there's several reasons for that. I and mean, we touched on the fact that I think AI has legitimized this type of functionality at the, at the point of care, which is great. But I think that what's going on with ONC and really pushing enforcement um, on, uh, on interoperability is, is causing a bit of panic in these systems to make sure that the data is really good, that it's usable, that they can, that they can really deliver there. And what's happening in value-based payment, um, Medicare Advantage, I think, just crossed the 50% threshold of being a Medicare. So value-based care, value-based payment is here to stay. And so those three forces together, in addition to the sort of leveling up of the patient voice and the demand for, for delivery of a patient's records to them, I think this is really forcing the various stakeholders, I mean, EHRs are one of them, but they're not the only one uh, to, to figure out this stuff for real now because the window to figure it out is shortening very, very rapidly. And so I mentioned it in, in our last podcast, but I can feel that the big vendors out there, they're retooling, they're you know, coming out with new products that will deal with clinical data better. They're gonna, they're gonna layer in the uh, AI where it's relevant and they're gonna be forced to, to, uh, to make interoperability real and to solve for, for value-based care and payment. So this stuff is changing and it's changing right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanna also add, I am so excited about the, this future of value-based care. It is so exciting to see just from the patient perspective, from the caregiver perspective, from, the, from all sides of the spectrum, value-based care is where it's at. And, as an industry, all of us need to be doing what we can to forward value-based care. Um, but one thing I did want to add about HIMSS that they did do really well this year, in addition to what I, I said, was that they killed it at social media. Oh. Their social media was more personalized 
than ever. I mean, they had one-on-one conversations with people. They were posting pictures of people and tagging them. And they were just really on the ball. I mean, it was next level. And so I didn't want to end this conversation without saying whoever did that, they really got it going on because it was fantastic (laughs) experience. If you were not able to attend the event, you really felt like you got an entertaining and experience that was very similar to what the experience on the ground was uh, on social media. So that was very interesting to see. And I'm excited to see how they, I hope they keep that, that tone and that excitement and that level of personalization and kind of bring it throughout the year leading up to the event because how awesome was that it was very exciting to experience whether you were on the ground or at home right right so let's sort of bring it back home again and close out uh this idea of kim's everybody kind of going into it speculating what the numbers would be uh you guys are saying and sort of echoing some of the stuff that i heard from clients and 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 friends and colleagues that the numbers were shocking there were probably thirty five thousand people there uh but then some of the bells and whistles lack of bells and whistles i guess you know um especially coming off such an experiential conference like by right just three weeks three weeks before and other conferences as well so as you look I, I, I think i think you i think i gotta take issue with what you said there with the bells and whistles i think it, we can't think of these pieces as bells and whistles it's all part of, of the the comfort and experience that that everyone is coming to to uh to expect um and so i think the problem is that so the organizers sometimes think of these things as, as bells and whistles, and they're not. This is core to their offering. And that seems frivolous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carpet is not yeah. a bell and whistle. No, you're going to waffle on it all day long. Well, especially, especially, you know, flat shoes or heels, it's still a problem, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what, so what is, what is the impact for 2024 that? Like, you know, I think we're, PAMS is back in Orlando, correct, in 2024. Google that while you're talking. I think that is correct. Um, Will there be an impact? Will HIMS feel it? I mean, I know there are a lot of exhibitors. I know they had 1,000 exhibitors. I know they were down from like the pre-days of like 1,300, 1,400 exhibitors. I know there were a lot of exhibitors that I know personally who scaled back or just did meeting rooms and didn't actually have anything on the exhibit floor. Does the actual overall experience created by HIMS this year, will it make a difference next year? Will it have an impact? To me, a part of me thinks that a lot of that is because of the state of the economy. <laughs> a lot of fo- folks are being pretty cautious. So I think a, lo- a lot of what people will decide to do about HIMS next year will have to do with their balance sheet. It is in Orlando next year. It is in Orlando. Pretty easy to get to and yeah, reasonably yeah. priced for a lot yeah. of the country. But yeah, I would say that it's hard to say now how well next year will do because so much of this year was impacted by the economy. People definitely scaled back the types of things they were giving out at the booths. They scaled back the after parties. They scaled back so much in addition to scaling back on maybe their booths they may have done in the past. So it's hard to say, will they scale back more next year or 
given the numbers that were had this year, are they going to decide to put more effort and time into it? It's, it is really hard to say, but if you're going to put time and effort into something, you'll probably want to put it into something that's going to be experiential. And maybe you're the one that has lunch at your booth and all the food and everybody comes to you, right, who knows, but right. you know, they're going to have to, you're going to have to get real creative is what I have to say, if you're going to do hymns next year. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think we've already scaled back um we we uh, and we've already made the decision to you know put a little bit more of our resources into the healths and vibes of, uh, um, next year and and being a member of chime uh, all that kind of stuff so we've already made that decision i've had conversations with various different vendors who said who maybe they weren't at uh, health or vibe before and they're making plans to go next year um, and, and have different people at those events like more product people at the the health and the vibes next year so um, i certainly heard some of that um, i would expect to see a dip uh next year but you know if there's something that's driving the attendance that we don't know about then perhaps that you know those numbers will stay up I, i'd expect to see a dip but um, that that remains to be seen. I mean, there's certainly still money in, in healthcare. I agree with what Grace said is that, you know, you could tell by the, the, the number of evening events that dropped precipitously and the, you know, people weren't going over the top in their booths with giveaways and all the kind of stuff which you've seen in the past. So certainly there's been already been an effect on the spending. Um, I would expect to see a dip next year, but mm. we'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, and to Grace's point, I mean, hymns might be thinking, well, you know, we're going to, we're back, we're going to get, you know, 35,000, Orlando will get people from Europe, right? More, probably people more coming over from Europe. Why not let the vendors provide the beverages and the food and carp carpeting aside, but, you know, why not let them do the work? And that is, you know, that's kind of been hymns model anyway, mostly over the years, right? Is that, you know, you walk down amongst the conference exhibitors and get a cappuccino and a bottle of water and things like that. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably they're probably not going to make those decisions until they see that dip mm -hmm. um, and they see that they're getting a bite out of them from competition. Uh, well, it remains to be seen. Certainly, I think this year you've got that whole thing about you know uh, the the pandemic is over, people are back out and and doing their thing, and so. I think there was a bit of counterweight that came from that. So we'll see you if the trend goes up or down, but I suspect mm -hmm. it will go down. I think that people still shouldn't sleep on hymns. I'm still a believer <laughs> in it. I think I you go you to are. Vive and you go to hymns, you figure out strategically what your presence will be at each of them and you make it happen and that's kind of coming just from my experience people found value from each of them and it wasn't the same value for all so get smart about it but go to both i i, I totally agree with you and to be perfectly honest especially as a b2b vendor my you know myself uh there is massive value in, in us being at vive hymns health at some of the other conferences um, because it's just another touch point right and and you meet you might meet someone for the first time at vibe and if they're going to be at that at, at hymns two weeks later now you've got a touch point where you've seen them you've met with them and you can set up a proper follow-up meeting with maybe with a larger group you know two two weeks later so there's certainly value in being at both and it's not entirely the same audience so uh if you can afford it why not 
I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, in 2024, um, it's going to be coast to coast. You know, Vive is going to be in LA, which is, you know, kind of fits in, right, with experience and glitz and all that. Expensive. Maybe not to fly to, but everything else is expensive, right, in the LA area. And Hims just, I think it's a week later, maybe there's a two-week break, not much, is going to be in Orlando on the East Coast in Florida, to Grace of Point. Um, pretty easy to get into, relatively inexpensive. Uh, and I, you know, and I, I think that will be interesting too to see how that plays out, especially from the attendee standpoint. You know, um, you know, different coasts and different expenses, and but different experiences. You're absolutely right, Carol. It will be very interesting to see. And I think it'll be interesting to see if you get more of the investor community out West with Silicon Valley right there yeah. and you get more of kind of the HIT community that's located in, in Jacksonville and other big uh, Florida cities down in Orlando. So it, it'll be interesting to see if people are willing to travel to both and what kind of communities will be at both because right. of the location. Right. Yeah, I think like you mentioned, you got the re the whole rest of the world to, um, you know, if you're going coast to coast, you got those two sides that are going to be um, at least interested in flying over because it's 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 closer to one or the other, right. and and the investor community, you know, the the vibes and the helps of the world certainly cater to those communities more. Um, so I would expect to see quite a lot more of that um, at Vibe next year, um, and uh, it'll be be interesting. I mean, a year away, certainly AI is going to have changed the world quite a bit. I can say that, you know, with, with some serious confidence and, and um, we'll have a lot to talk about uh, at those two conferences. So yeah, we'll, have a lot to, we'll have a lot to talk about after Vegas and health. Grace, James, we'll wrap up this episode of the show. Thank you again for your time as always and your insights. Look forward to seeing you both uh, in Las Vegas. You know me well enough to know that's one of my favorite places to have a conference. And so if I don't see you at the exhibit, I'll see you at the craps table. <laughs> we'll see you there. <laughs> you got it. it. Thanks so much, Carol. <laughs> you can learn more about James Ada at metacomp.com and follow him on Twitter at healthtechjames and learn more about Grace Vitton at acmarketing.com and follow her on Twitter at high tea with Grace. Learn more about this show by visiting the program page on healthcareandiradio.com and follow me on Twitter at Carol Flagg or on LinkedIn. Until next time, I'm Carol Flagg, and I want to know what's your tagline.